Good morning, church. My name is David McMinn, and I am the pastor here. Uh, and I need to take a, just a few minutes uh, to address a, an elephant that is in the room. Uh, you may have noticed a couple days ago there was news all over the, I guess, interwebs about the Methodist church. The Methodist is our tribe. That's part of who we are. We are from the Wesleyan background. And uh, there was new articles on CNN, Washington Post, NPR, basically anywhere that you can get news. And even some of them said that the United Methodist Church is splitting. Now, that is not the case. That's not exactly what's going on. Many of you may know that we as a denomination are deeply divided over human sexuality and how we uh, choose to uh, accept or ordain or marry people who are in same gender relationships. And um, it's something that we've been wrestling with as a, as a denomination, really as a society for the past 20, 30, 40 years. So um, nothing has happened yet. There is a proposal um, from some of the major leaders in the, car, the denomination to amicably split as a denomination. So uh, what will happen in May of 2020, we will gather, the leaders of our denomination will gather and they will, they will make a decision. I always get emotional about these things. <laughs> uh, sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, uh, we just sing a song about trusting God, you know. And no matter what happens... God's love prevails, God's church prevails, and we at Rockbridge have a mission, and it's a mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, and that'll continue no matter what happens. So we're all going to pray. We're going to pray for the United Methodist Church. We're going to pray for Rockbridge and uh, for our country and, and for the world, and we're going to keep serving, and that's all I ask you to do in this time. And uh, I'm going to be up here if you have any questions after the service. be happy to discuss what I know, what I don't know. Um, and uh, let you know what, what, the, what the situation and the reality is. So um, please, after the service, if you want to come and you want to learn more, please come and talk to me. Let's take a moment and just enter into a moment of prayer together. Holy God. We come to you this morning, and we just love you. And we're here to worship you in spirit and truth. We're here to turn our eyes towards your son and the, and the call that he has placed on our life. God, there's so many lost and hurting people in this world. May that be our focus. May we be people of generous love to all that we meet, inviting them into a relationship through, to you through your son, Jesus Christ. And as we continue in worship and, and we read your scripture and hear the word proclaimed, may it touch our hearts and dwell within us that we might be transformed and be your people sent to all the world. We ask these things in your heavenly name. Amen. As many of you know, my family and I took a short vacation to New Orleans. We took a road trip, and part of what we did on New Year's Day was we went to a parade, the Sugar Bowl Parade. If New Orleans does anything better than anybody else, it's parades. Uh, they are a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, the whole Mardi Gras floats with beads and all that going on, the bands. And what's interesting is I'm a person who does not like crowds, right? I don't like being in crowds. I would much rather, Aurora and I were talking about this, I would much rather on New Year's Eve sit on my couch by myself than, you know, go with a bunch of people that I don't know and just be stuck in a small enclosed space. That's me. 
And yet, when we were in this crowd of people and we're in this parade, I felt this strong sense of belonging. That in the midst of all these people that I didn't know that were there for the same reason to celebrate the new year and the sugar bowl, that there was a sense of belonging. I had a connection on some level with these people. The next day, we were in a restaurant, and it was really packed because everybody was heading up to the Sugar Bowl, and uh, we had luckily gotten a table in the bar and had just finished eating, and uh, we were having dinner with some Baylor fans. We were were from Texas, so we chose to cheer for Baylor. We don't really have a a stake in the game, but we were with Baylor fans, and we were all wearing our green and and Sickum Bears, whatever, you know. And these Georgia fans come up, right? And one of them is this, like, old Georgia grandmotherly lady and, you know, with that deep southern accent. And she's, you know, just really nice saying, hey, can we have your table when we're done? And then, of course, at the end, she goes, of course, we're going to beat y'all, you know. (laughs) She had to slide that in there. But even in that moment, I felt a connection. I felt a connection with her because here we were. In that moment, in New Orleans, we were all experiencing the Sugar Bowl together. Even though we were cheering for different teams and we had different purposes for being there, we had things that made us similar. We both wanted to sit down and eat our food, right? And so there was a connection, even though we are different. The reality of who we are as people is that we desire belonging. We need a place to fit in. We need a place to connect. We need a place to belong. And the problem is, too often, to belong, we put on masks that are not really who we are because we think that people won't love us if we are who we truly are, that we have to put on some sort of mask or or hope that they will love us if we're the person that we think they want us to be. And the reality is, to truly belong is we have to authentically and truly be who God has created us to be. We're going to start a four-part sermon series on a really important book uh, by Dr. Brene Brown. She really became famous on her work with shame, and and she just has really powerful and potent uh, things. She's a a professor at Houston, uh, University of Houston, and she's just a, a, a great speaker and leader and has incredible things to say, especially about belonging. And this is something that we need to hear because we need to belong, but to belong, we can't be who other people want us to be. We have to be who we are and who God has made us, all right? There's been an interesting thing going on in America over the last 40 years, and I'm sure you're able to see it in in so many aspects of our our world. In 1976, with Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter, when when that election happened, less than 25% of people lived in a place where it was a landslide victory. Now, what that means is that most people growing up at that time would work with, they would live next to, they would go to school with people who are of a different political persuasion, right? So we interacted with people with different beliefs much more often. By 2016, in the election um, between Trump and Clinton, that changed to 80% of the people were in a place that was a landslide victory. Now think about that. Think about the change that happened. That means that we went from interacting with people who had different political mindsets all the time to living in these kind of echo chambers where we generally interact with people who think the same way we do. And it's not just politically. It's religiously. It's ethnically. It's everything about us. We want to find people who are like us. And then we only hear the same thoughts and ideas back and forth. Now you would think that would make us more comfortable, right? and more able to be who we are. But the reality is, that's not happening. 
20% of people were lonely in, in 1980. Now it's over 40% of people feel like they're lonely. Think about that. Despite sorting ourselves into like-minded categories, we are more lonely now than we've ever been in the past. And I think that's part of it is when everyone seems to believe the same thing, we have to put on another mask, right? Even if we disagree, we have to pretend like we agree with everyone around us just to feel like we fit in. And loneliness is not just something that we can shrug off. Loneliness is a, uh, a reality that affects our basic human needs. We are designed, we are designed by God to interact with one another. We're designed by God to be in community with one another. To say you're lonely is the same thing to say I'm hungry. It is a human need that needs to be satisfied. We're not meant to be lonely. Here's a statistic that amazed me. If you live in an area with high air pollution, you're, you have a 5% chance of dying early. If you uh, struggle with obesity, you have a 20% chance of dying early. If you struggle with excessive drinking, you have a 30% chance of dying early. If you are lonely consistently, you have a 45% chance of dying early. Being lonely deeply affects who we are. We are desperate to be in community, but the truth is that we cannot be in community if we sacrifice who we really are. This is what Brene Brown says. And this is so important. It says, true belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. Let me read that again. True belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. True belonging doesn't require to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. And we're talking about changing who you are. That's not trying to make yourself a better person or be more Christ-like. It's talking about your personality, who God has made you to be. We all know that we are designed, we are perfectly and wonderfully made by God and beautifully made. And so today we're going to talk about that we belong, and first we're going to talk about that you belong to God, and then second, that you belong to yourself, and then that you belong to each other. As I read our scripture today, I really want you to listen to who God says you are in the scripture. So I'm going to read from the book of Colossians, it's in the New Testament, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Actually, backing up to the, the verse before, it says, In this image there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all things in all people. So all those things that we like to think that our identity comes from, right? Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. We could add our own categories. Republican, Democrat, American, Iranian. Scythian, slave or free, circumcised or uncircumcised, that could be Christian or Jewish. All those categories don't matter. All that matters is that Christ is all things and in all people. This is what it says starting in verse 12. Therefore is God's choice, holy and love, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
Be tolerant with each other. And if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. And as the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The peace of Christ, which must control your heart. A peace into which you are called one body. And be thankful people. The word of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. This is a powerful passage. I actually preach this passage a lot at weddings as we talk about what it means to be a family. But it also speaks to our identity and who God has made us to be. So therefore, as God's choice, holy and love, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So who are we as followers of God? We're people who have compassion for others. We treat other people with kindness. We have more patience because we seek Christ. And we're tolerant. You know, sometimes that word in our society, people act like it's a bad word, to be tolerant. There's nothing wrong with standing firmly for what you believe. In fact, I think that's a lot of what Brene Brown says, that if you believe strongly, stand firm in it. Let people know. Share it in discussions. But also, we live in a diverse society. Not everybody is going to believe the way you do. Not everyone is going to see things the way you do. And if you want people to listen to your ideas and your beliefs and your thoughts, maybe you need to take time listening to what they think and what they believe. And what they see the world as. Tolerance is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that you are wishy-washy, that you don't have beliefs, that you don't stand firmly to the truths of Scripture and of Christ, but just to love one another and give them the respect that you want for yourself. Then it tells us to forgive one another. I, forgiveness is so desperately needed in our, in our world. We want forgiveness for ourselves, right? Right? When we mess up, we would love people to forgive us. But the truth is that we need to offer forgiveness to other people when they hurt us and when they harm us. And then it says, over all things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You know, one of the things that will make us uniquely Christian is our love. We were at a, a, a Catholic church on Sunday, and they sang, they will know we are Christians by our love. Over and over again, they will know we are Christians by our love. Are you known by your love? The other big news of this week was about what is going on with Iran and in in, in the missile attack that we did. I'm not here to debate the merits of national policy, but what I am here to say is that War, even though it is sometimes necessary, is always evil. And we always should mourn, even when it is the only choice. And as a people, we must fight and we must argue as followers of Jesus. If we're going to say we're going to put on love, we must, we must make sure that war is the last option, not the first option. We're called to love people. And the truth is that God loves you very, very deeply, but God loves people in Iraq and Iran just as much as God loves you. And it's tragic. We think about the tragedy of sending our troops overseas and the difficulties that they will face, and that is 100% true. We're going to send young people to war if we go to war, 18-year-olds. 
people just out of high school. Those are the people who go and fight our wars. And we should pray deeply for our soldiers and for their families and for the people that are going to be impacted. Do you know there's a generation of people who have grown up and not known war? We've been in war since 2002. I pray deeply every single day that as a society that we choose some other way of living than looking to violence. When will that be? But we also have to think about the consequences of the war of the people on the other side. It doesn't just hurt us as a people. It doesn't just hurt our soldiers. When we go to war, it will infect innocent civilians, people who God dearly loves, tens of thousands of them. And we're called to be a people of love. Sometimes war is necessary, but it's always evil. And we should always mourn its necessity. It continues to tell us the word of Christ must live and you richly teach and warn each other by wisdom and singing psalms and spiritual song. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We have to gather in community. When we talk about belonging and who we are, this is all in community. To sing songs and to sing psalms together and hymns, it's done in community. And to know who we are and whose we are, we have to learn together who Christ wants us to be. And this last part I love. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give you thanks to God the Father through him. So that means that all that we do, we represent Christ. All that we do, all that we say, all that we act, all that we believe, we need to do in the name of Jesus. But I think it, it also has another corollary meaning. And I've never thought about this before. And that is, if you can't do it in the name of Jesus, should you? If you'd be ashamed to do whatever it is that you plan on doing in the name of Jesus, should you do it? This is the ethic. This is the way that we should live our life. So this scripture tells us who we are. It tells us that we belong to God. And that if we're talking about identity and belonging, first and foremost, we have to realize that our identity must be found in God and in Christ first. And then we can talk about who we are individually. Our society seems to talk like our identity is untethered to anything else. Or maybe we'll talk about our identity based on the team that we cheered for, the college that we went to, the sexuality that we have, who we vote for, whether we homeschool our kids or whether we send them to school. All these things make up our identity. The most important thing, the number one thing that we have to think about when we talk about identity as followers of Jesus is God. When you make decisions, when you think about who you are, how often do you think about God? How often do you discuss God in your homes? When you make decisions as a family about what you spend, where you're going to go, do you all talk about what does God want us to do? We talk about how you spend your money. When you talk about who you invite over for dinner, do you think about how God wants you to interact in each of these situations? When you talk about who you are, do you think about who God has created you to be? These are the questions that need to go through our mind as we live our life. So once we realize that we belong to God, we also realize that we belong to ourselves. This is a vitally important thing. This isn't just some self-help thing. Because God has created us individually and uniquely and wonderfully and beautifully. And God doesn't make mistakes, right? God has designed you in a particular way because you have particular gifts that are needed for the kingdom of God. In Psalm 139 it says, 
This is Psalmist talking to God. You are the one who created my innermost parts. You knit me together while I was still in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you that I was marvelously set apart. Your works are wonderful. I know that very well. What the author is saying is that God goes on to say, um, or right here it says, that God knit you together, that God designed you in your smallest detail to your biggest detail, that you're exactly who God wanted you to be. Now, some of who we are is wrapped up in our experiences and our life, but there's also a part of you that is just wonderfully and beautifully made. So you need to find out who that is, who you are, who you are in God's eyes. Now, this is not an excuse to spoil yourself. I don't know if you ever watched Parks and Rec, but there's a couple characters that are always like, treat yourself, right? And they just go over the top. Self-care is a thing, but let's not go over the top with it. This is also not an excuse to be rude to other people. Well, I'm just being myself, and I'm a very rude person, so I can say whatever I want. That's not what we're talking about. Remember, compassion and patience and kindness, that's part of who we are. But it's finding out who God has made you to be, and don't be ashamed to be that person. I don't know if any of y'all have ever taken the Enneagram. I'm an Enneagram 7, which means I'm an enthusiast. I like to be the center of attention. I'm an only child. The world is all about me, right? The problem is, it's really hard to figure out how to be that person and to be a pastor. I mean, part of it's obvious. I get to stand up and talk to you all each week, right? But sometimes I'm wondering, well, do they really need like a 3, who's the achiever and the person who's always driven? Or do they really need a detailed person? Or do they really need someone who's just in charge and a commander and leading everything? Or do they need a helper and someone who's compassion? And so sometimes I try to put on all these different hats that just are not me. And that's when I tend to fail the most. And so part of my path as a pastor has been to learn how to be unashamedly me and to be your pastor. And that's all I'm asking you to do. Be unashamedly you, but be a person who is kind and compassionate and loving. We put on so many masks in our life because we're trying to be the people that other people want us to be. Maybe it's the person you, you're, who your parents want you to be or the person your job wants you to be or the person that your friends want you to be. It's time to take off those masks. There's no shame in being you and being the person God has made you to be because God has designed you exactly the way God wants you to be. So once you realize that you belong to God and you belong to yourself, we also realize that we belong to each other. We're not supposed to live this life in a vacuum, alone, as if we just can do it all by ourselves. Brene Brown also has this quote about spirituality. Spirituality is recognizing and celebrating that we are all inextricably connected to each other by a power greater than all of us, and that our connection to that power and to one another is grounded in love and compassion. Let me read that again. Spirituality is recognizing and celebrating that we are all inextricably connected to each other by a power that is greater than all of us, and that our connection to that power and to one another is grounded in love and compassion. You know, it talks about in Scripture how we're supposed to get together and sing songs and read Scripture. This life is not meant to be lived alone. The church is together, together, to pray together, to, to read Scripture together, to do life together. Now, we do need some basic boundaries in our life. And this is in your 
um, in your GPS, in, in the, uh, the actual GPS section, it talks about an acronym named BRAVING. And these are some basic things so that you can have trust because not everyone is worthy of your trust. The B stands for boundaries. And this is something I think you should put on your refrigerator and that you should absolutely live by. The B stands for boundaries. You respect my boundaries and I respect yours. We need to be clear about what is okay and not okay in our life. Do you think we'd be better in relationship to one another if we had better boundaries? And we said, yes, that's what we can do, or no, that's not what we can't do? What about reliability? That's the R, reliability. Simply, you are who you say you are, or you do what you say you will do. Do you show up when you say that you'll show up? Do you fulfill your promises and your obligations? Accountability. This is so important, and it's so important in our faith. You own your mistakes, you apologize, and you try to make amends. You can't always make amends because it requires two people, but you do your best. Integrity, this, this is my favorite definition of integrity from the book. You choose courage over comfort. You hear that? You choose courage over comfort. You do the right thing, even when it's painful. Guys, so much about being a follower of Jesus is doing the right thing, even when it's difficult, of standing up. We are going to be alone on a lot of things, because we don't neatly fit in one category or another right? We're always going to be standing up for things. We're always going to be saying, stand up on the side of love and justice and compassion. And we're always going to be standing up for Christ. And sometimes that's going to make us feel very alone, but we choose courage over comfort. Non-judgment, that we don't judge other people when they ask for what they need. And then I love this too, generosity. You extend the most generous interpretation to the possible intentions, words, and actions of others. This is the opposite of what we tend to do. We tend to, when someone does something, we want to assume the worst of each person, right? That they had the worst intention, that they are out to get us. And what it's saying is to flip that on its head and assume, could that help your relationships? Instead of assuming the worst out of your friend, your family member, whoever it is, that you assume that the best, they had the best possible intentions. I add a little piece to it, though, and that's to find out. Don't just allow people to take advantage of you over and over again. But find out. Have a generous interpretation of their actions, but find out. So we need to interact with these uh, characteristics, these guidelines for our life in the church. But the reality is, when I say you belong to each other, it's not just inside the walls of the church. It's not just inside the walls of the church. When we belong to each other, it's outside in our communities. Think about the life of Jesus. Now, Jesus spent a lot of time with his disciples. He spent a lot of time with people pouring into them, loving them. But he was always criticized for doing what? For spending time with sinners, tax collectors. He had the audacity to eat with them and to go into their homes and have meals together. He spent time with prostitutes. And, and one of the criticisms of Jesus is that they were always out eating and drinking and partying. Now, I don't think Jesus was actually partying, but he was in those locations. He was in the bars. He was in the places that we tend to say, oh, a Christian shouldn't be there. And he was spending time with people that others said were excluded from society. You belong to each other. So we belong to the people outside the walls of this church. We can't just hold our love and our compassion and who we are inside. We have to go out and we have to share it with other people. I was on a mission trip in El Salvador 
And uh, we, we sat down for lunch on the first day. And all the people who came on the mission trip sat over here and the workers sat over here. And then some people in our group went over and invited them to join us for lunch. And it transformed the mission trip. Because no longer were we just some people who showed up to help. We were there to be in community with people and we sat at a table with them. So what if our way of interacting with people who are different than us was to sit at a table? What if it was to invite people to dinner? What if it was to go out to eat with people that we know were different than us? Would that change our perspective? Would that change the world? You belong to God. You belong to yourself. And you belong to each other. Over the next three weeks, we're going to share some tools on how to live this out with four simple things. That people are hard to hate close up, so move in. To hold hands with strangers. To speak truth, but be civil. And have a strong back, a soft front, and a wild heart. Guys, 2020 is going to be hard. We're five days in, and it's already been hard. We have an election this year, and we're going to really feel the call to divide ourselves, to belittle people, to dehumanize people who are different than us. And we have to do with everything that we can to not give in to those tendencies and to be people of love. Stand for what you believe in. Stand for what God has called you to live for. But do it in a way that is loving and compassionate and kind. So I have a challenge for you as we think about these things uh, that you belong to God, you belong to yourself, and you belong to each other, to have one conversation this week, one conversation this week with someone that you know has a different viewpoint on something, whether that's politically or religiously or just about anything, have one conversation, truly listen, truly be present with them, and see what that changes in your relationship. And if all of us do that, and all of us practice this for 2020, and we live it out, I think that we will find belonging, belonging with God, belonging with ourselves and belonging in the world. She calls it braving the wilderness, and a wilderness is never an easy place. But we know that the society that we live in is, is growing more and more into a wilderness, and we are called to brave it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.